Let me pray for us as we um, look at God's word together. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this opportunity that we can have to spend time really thinking about your word. Help us, Lord, to grow in godliness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we look out across the countryside at the moment, I'm sure you've noticed, but the season has changed. Yeah. Our backyard is full of leaves. I have to sweep them up. I have to rake them up every uh, couple of days into piles and put them on the compost. Um, it's I really like this kind of time of year. And I kind of give up on planting anything in the vegetable garden because it doesn't really grow over winter. So this is the dormant time. But I know at the end of winter there will be this... this uh, this magical time when the, the sun comes out again and the ice thaws and things start to grow. It's called spring. <laughs> There'll be buds on the fruit trees. There'll be uh, the soil that warming up and the grass might begin to stretch its legs. Mm. Uh, things will begin to grow. So today in 2 Peter, or 2 Peter, depending where you're from, um, it's about our growth as Christians. And as a church, and as we see here in these words, it's about growing in godliness. So what's godliness? Well, it's our devotion to God. It's, our, it's, our, it's to live a life which is more and more reflecting the character of Jesus. That's godliness. We're more and more like Christ in our character. And like the land in springtime, we are to be growing. We are to be growing in godliness. But is this what we experience in our lives? Are we, are we growing? Is this your experience? You know, I think about my life, and I suspect it's probably the same for you, but often we find ourselves in times of cracked, dried clay rather than lush pasture. Is that right? Instead of growing in godliness, maybe you continue to fall into a, into a sin and there's a pattern of sin that you fall into again and again. And maybe you've... Maybe even you've resigned yourself to the idea that you can't change, that there isn't any hope for growth in your life, that the Christian life, godly living, is too hard. So is growth possible? Uh, are we just kind of waiting for Jesus to come back and then he'll fix things up? Or is, it, is growth possible now? Should we expect us to be growing now in our lives? Well, the good news of this passage is that Godliness is not only possible, but God is the one who empowers it. It's not only possible to grow in godliness, but God will grow us in godliness. And this is good news for us, friends, because we're so often weak. We so often find it hard to trust in God that he would do this. So we've got, we've got three points, as uh, most sermons do from me anyway. <laughs> How, what, and why of God. The Christian approach to godliness. How, what, and why? How can we live a godly Christian life? What a godly Christian life looks like, and why we should we have a godly Christian life? Why should we be godly? So, number one, how do we live a godly Christian life? How do we live godliness out in our lives? How can we live this way? So, verses one to four, and here we see that Jesus gives everything. We need to live a godly life. He gives everything we need. It's not that we ourselves muster up the strength to live for Jesus. 
It's not that God just saves us and then he leaves us on our own to live his way. No, everything in our lives as Christians, as we look to Jesus, as we trust in God, as we love him, this all comes from Christ. So verse 1, we see the Apostle Peter who wrote this, this letter. And he writes that all Christians, every Christian, whether an apostle or not, have received faith, a faith. And how do they do that? Well, through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our God and Saviour. You know, everything we have comes from, as Christians comes from Christ. It's from his life, his obedience to the Father, his obe- obedience of the Word, his battle against temptation, all the bombardments of the evil one in Jesus' life, his death on the cross, his obedience to death from beginning to end. The Christian life is not about what we do, it's about what Christ has done for us. And all of us, we need to look to Jesus if we're to be godly. If we're to be saved at all, we must look and believe in Jesus. And it's Christ's righteousness that empowers us to live for him. So verse 3, Christ's, what does they say there? His divine power. His divine power is the source of how we live the godly life. Verses 3 and 4. Let me read that out. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. By these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So our family, we used to live in Sydney until a year and a bit ago. Um, And up there we experienced huge electrical storms. Has anyone experienced a huge electrical storm before? Yeah? Yes. Yes. Yep. Um, The sky would grow dark. And the clouds would roll in and they kind of swirl around in the sky. And then huge forks of lightning go across the sky. It's an amazing experience. So we've got a picture of a storm. Well, my attempt at copying and pasting two pictures of clouds. (laughs) Oh, look at that. Look at that storm. There's orange and pinky colours there. They're dark clouds over there. Look at those. And yellow forks of lightning what have you got there oh that's a tree growing that's right but that's the whole point of the talk that's great good um so the storm in the sky is nothing compared to the power of god there's lots of power in a storm right but it's nothing compared to christ's divine power so what's god like god's all powerful lightning has a huge amount of energy in it but it's another category altogether compared to God. There's, you can't compare these two powers. God is the one who made the lightning. You know, unlike... Ooh, that fell off there. Uh, unlike us, who we get kind of get tired um, at the end of the day, and we might need a coffee to keep us going. God doesn't need a coffee in the afternoon to keep him going. Nothing is too difficult for God. He's unlimited in his power. And Christ has chosen to work his divine power in two ways here in this passage. Well, first here we see that he's worked his power for everything we need to live a godly life. 
You know, God doesn't hold out on us here. We're not missing out on anything. God has ordained his power for us and in us. And we, in the second part of verse 3, receive this power. Receive this. Everything we need through the knowledge of him who has called us, or, uh, called us by or to his own glory and goodness. You see what God has done for us. We only know Christ because God has called us to him. Christ's divine power gives us everything we need. And then secondly, verse 4 here, his divine power has given very great and precious promises. Very great promises. You know, when I promise something, I try and keep my word, but sometimes I just don't. I can't. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I'm not able to. But when God gives his word, you know what? His word is true. He will carry it out. His promise is sure and certain. No, it's something over there. And these are very great promises. And they're given to us for a reason. So see the purpose, verse 4? There's the so that, that's the purpose. That, the, we, that we participate in the divine nature. So which means we become like Christ in our, in our character, reflect God's character in us, as opposed to following you know, evil desires. This is God's promise, a complete transformation of our lives, no more sin in us. The renovation of our hearts that begins now but will be completed in the future so that we reflect God in our character, in us. This is God's promise. So how can we be godly? How can we live the godly Christian life? Is there hope for change? Is there a way forward for us? Well, yes, because of Jesus, because of his power. You know, these verses, they paint a a very different picture than we might sometimes think of God's work in us, in our lives. You know, when we go to the supermarket, we go to get some milk and we go to the checkout and we sort of put the milk there and we tap the card on the thing. That's a, that's a transaction, right? You give money and you can take the milk out of the shop. But this is not what it's like with God. God doesn't say, you give to me something and I'll work in your life. No, that's not how God works. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel is about God's giving and we just freely take. We receive. And we cannot be godly apart from Christ, his work in us by his spirit. You know, this is good news for us as a church. We're only new, we're only small. But Christ's power is at work. Christ's power is at work. He wants us to grow in godliness. And he has made promises to that effect, to do that, to really actually change us, to have your desires changed, to be transformed from selfishness to self-giving, to, to be free, to live for him. You know, the gospel doesn't say that off you go, go and do this on your own. God doesn't just save us and just set us loose to do muster up the strength to live for him. Christ has promised his power and promises to change us. There is hope for change. You know, he's with you when you're wrestling with that temptation. 
is with you when you're tempted to covet, to steal, to to be angry, to lie. He's with you when you find it hard to love that person who has, you know, who has caused you trouble. We can trust him. We can rely on him. We can pray to him and seek him, knowing that his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. So that's the how, but then what's next? The what? What does godliness, a godly life, a life for God look like? Well, it actually looks like effort. It looks like effort, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Peter reassures us that we have everything we need for a godly life by God's divine power. Then he actually tells us to make every effort to grow. You know, Christian growth, our growth in our lives, in our in our characters, is utterly, completely, 100% by the power of the Spirit. It's not a life of relaxation. We don't soak up godliness like you might soak up sun rays at the beach. Yes, growth is only by God's power. But the paradox is that our lives to be an active striving, an effort, running the race. Keep walking in step with the Spirit, putting on, putting off, as we see in Ephesians. Making every effort, as verse 8 says, increasing or growing. Not to earn our salvation. Our works never earn or merit salvation. But it's the way, the means by which God has chosen to grow us by the Spirit, by an active striving towards godliness in His grace. So as, as you choose to read your Bible tomorrow at, at uh, home or whenever during lunch, you know, the, remember that God, this is God's way of growing you. As, you. as you book to go along to a Christian conference or hear a great sermon online, this is God at work by his spirit to grow you as you come here on Sunday, as we sing the word of God through these songs we sing. This is God growing us. And kids, as you hear the Bible, as you think about it, as you meditate on it in the sermon right now, and also often gospel training, as you look at the Ten Commandments later, God is at work actually growing you. Do you know that? As you make that decision to love that person is really difficult. God is at work. God's power is at work as we consciously, willingly plan even to think, to do, to make spirit-empowered effort to grow. And no, we won't be perfect now. We won't be perfect. You know, two steps forward, one step back. But a lot of repentance along the way, but also there's growth in our life. Maybe you think about it like a trajectory of growth. Like a gardener where to cultivate the soil of our hearts, to work the soil and cultivate these virtues that uh, Peter lists here. So what are we to cultivate? What does uh, Peter tell us here? So verse 5, what's the first one? Um, Yeah, faith. Faith, I think, yes. Without faith, there isn't any growth in Christ. We need we trust in Christ alone. Goodness. 
Yeah, goodness. We're to be good, upstanding people. We're to be good. Follow God's goodness in our lives. Knowledge. Knowledge. No, it's simply about knowing more of what we already know, more of God's word. You know, the more I study the Bible, the more, the less, the more I know, not much. (laughs) You get it? The more I read and study God's word and read books, I realize I don't really know anything. But we're all to continually dive deep into the knowledge of God, knowing Christ through his word. Self-control. What's self-control? It's the one that's often overlooked in our lives, I think. It's one of the, you know, our highest ideal in our culture is to express ourselves. We're to be who we are and you do you sort of thing. But this is not the this is not the Christian way. It's not the Christian way. Self-control. Instead of following evil desires, God says we're to master our desires. Be self-controlled. Perseverance or endurance it means going through life, through the ups and downs. You know, the, the Christian life isn't a short sprint, oftentimes. Uh, it's something like the, the point to pinnacle. Um, you run up, it's a uphill slog a lot of the time. The Bruni Island Ultra Marathon. It's long distance. And I just love it when I meet Christians who have been following Jesus for 60, 70 years. Or, or that. It's an amazing testimony of God's goodness to them. Just seeing the seeing Christians who have lived for him for many, many years. Perseverance and endurance. Godliness or piety. Uh, devotion to God. Reverence, respect for God. Also, brotherly affection or mutual affection. You know, we love each other. Affection for other people. You know, the gospel turns potential competitors into siblings brothers and sisters this is what we are as a church we're to have mutual affection as and we have that as we get to know each other um, enough to annoy each other <laughs> and finally here love loves that chief virtue isn't it we're to love others not only the people we like uh, the people in our immediate family or even our church family, but those around us, um, we're to love other people. So here's the list. If you want to know what these virtues look like in action, where do you look? You look to Jesus, right? We look no further than Jesus. Whereas we often need to increase and we often fail to live this way, we need to ask for forgiveness Jesus embodied these perfectly. He modelled what it was, what it is to live the godly life. He lived a totally faithful life. He lived that morally good life. He grew in wisdom and knowledge. He was self-controlled. He endured such hardship. He loved even his enemies. This is a life that Christ lived. It's the life that wins us our salvation and it's the life he calls us to live by his spirit in his power. 
And he promises that as we strive, he will grow us. He will be with us. And that one day he will make us like him. So, on that journey of life, as we endure life together, we make every effort to grow. So this is the what. This is what godliness looks like. It means spirit-empowered effort. So finally, from verses 8 to 11, Peter shows us the why. Why are to be growing? We've seen the how, what, and now the why. Why we, we need to be growing. You know, maybe, isn't it enough to just be a Christian and that's it? Surely if I'm saved, then I can live how I want? No, people, maybe even you, think like that. Why bother with growth? Well, Peter tells us why. He gives us a few reasons here. Verse 8, increasing in godliness will keep us from being useless and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does this mean? Well, perhaps it's think about a farm example. You know, a person can know what it's like to be a farmer. But that knowledge actually needs to go from the head and put into practice, right? The person needs to go and get the tractor out and work the ground and sow the seed and set up the irrigator. The knowledge needs to be practiced, so it is with us as Christians. The Holy Spirit leads us to know Christ and he powerfully works in us. But if we know that we're Christians, if we know Christ and we don't put it into practice, then we're useless. We're unfruitful. In other words, knowing Christ means living for Christ. They go together. That's the first reason Peter gives us here. So verse 9, the next one. We're to live a growing Christian life because if a person doesn't, then it dishonors Christ. We're to honor Christ, you see. Verse 9, a person who lives like this is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. So if someone claims to be a believer and doesn't care about growing as a Christian, then maybe they've forgotten Christ. And if we aren't striving for godliness, our eyes are not focused on Christ, are they? We aren't seeing Christ. We aren't seeing what it cost him in the cleansing we have received. We're, we're cleansed from sin. So we don't go and play in the mud anymore. No, so maybe when you're tempted to sin... You need to remind yourself, you're a Christian. You're free from that. You're a Christian. You don't need that. You don't want that. Nathan, you're a Christian. Don't live that way. Don't do that. Jesus has cleansed you, so don't live like that. Verse 10 gives another reason why we're to grow as Christians. Well, it just confirms who we are, confirms our election, calling and election. Verse 10, therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you'll never stumble. You know, it's like when the phone buzzes and the doctor has sent you a text message and you need to confirm the appointment and you click yes or a Y and you send it back. Then it's saying yes, you're confirmed at the appointment, right? So as Christians, we need to confirm our booking. We confirm that we're truly saved by Jesus by the way we live. It's confirmation. And if we know Christ, we'll be doing the good works that God has prepared for us to do. That confirms what the God is at work in us. And he's doing this in us. 
This is the pathway that God plans for us to walk toward glory. It's the pathway of growth in godliness. The point is, if you're a Christian, you grow as the Spirit works in you. You do the things God has planned for you. You obey and live out your faith, and it confirms your calling and election. So verse 11, living the godly life is the pathway that God sets for us to live. It's the pathway toward the future with God, the future God has for us, entry into Jesus' eternal kingdom, verse 11. So our living, the way we live now reflects where we're going, reflects God, it reflects our destination. So we need to keep eternity in our, in our minds, in our focus. The future, where we're headed, shapes how we live now. So if the person thinks there's nothing to come after death, right, they're going to live like that. They're going to live now like there's nothing to come. They're going to make life comfortable, pleasurable, happy. But as believers, what have we got to look forward to? We have a wonderful future with Christ. We have a rich welcome. So we live in light of where we're going. We live in light of who God is and what he's done for us. So we work, we strive, we pursue the growing godly life. We know that the Lord is coming again and our lives are lived in God's power. We live no growing lives of godliness. We're leading that life of godliness. This is the pathway we walk. And we're like that little shoot of growth in the springtime, showing that what will be fully revealed uh, when the Lord comes again. So what have we seen? We've seen how, what, and why of godliness. Like the garden in spring, there'll be our lives that'll be shooting up, we'll be growing. And the good news is it's not up to us in our own effort to do this, but rather we're empowered by Christ. He's poured out the Spirit, and in that power, He calls us to make every effort to grow so that we'd be effective and confirm who we are in Jesus. And I think God is amazingly gracious, amazingly kind, amazingly merciful that He would promise these things to us. So let me pray for us now as we finish. Lord, we thank you for this part of your word that please be working it deep within us. Um, keep our eyes, our hearts, our lives focused on Christ and his kingdom. Please help us to trust in you and we thank you that you give us everything we need for a godly life, a life which is following Jesus. Please give us hearts which are loving you more and more. Please give us desires which desire your ways. Help us to live like Jesus and trust in him alone. In his name we pray. Amen.